welcome to the Out of Limits of Truth Radio Show, OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. This is The Death Show. This is part four, and it's going to focus on what you can do for others. So many times in our culture, when a tragedy happens, one of the things we always hear is people saying, thoughts and prayers, sending thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. I feel that that phrase is not only annoying, but it's becoming hollow, regardless of what the intention is. Because people don't know what else to say. And what exactly are you doing when you are sending thoughts? I mean, here's a typical thought going through my head at any given moment. <laughs> well, should I send that to someone? Should I gift wrap that thought? Say, here you go. I mean, what would they do with that thought? They'd say, that's a bad thought. What am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do? There's got to be other constructive ways to help people. To provide love and peace and send them with love and peace when they are mourning. And that's exactly what we're going to focus on right now. Let us begin the show. Joining us now is Carol Brody Fleet. She's author of an upcoming book, Loss is a Four-Letter Word, a Bereavement Bootcamp for the Widowed. Kick grief in the ass and take your life back. She's also a grief specialist. You can learn more about Miss Fleet by going to her website at widowswearstilettos.com. Miss Fleet. Welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us. And I was wondering if you could share some of your thoughts and insights on what people can do for others who have experienced a tremendous loss in their life. That would be my pleasure, Ryan, and thank you for having me. Um, first of all, I want to start out with something that's just a little more important, and that's what not to do. Um, what not to do. Don't say, call me if you need anything, because the call will never come. When you have suffered a huge loss, you automatically feel like a burden to the entire world, and that phone weighs 500 pounds, and you are never going to pick it up and call somebody. So we're not going to say, call me if you need anything. We're also not going to say, I know how you feel, because when you do that, you have just shifted the spotlight from the person in need to yourself, because you're going to follow, I know how you feel with, because when I've lost my what have you, and now all of a sudden we're talking about you. So those are the two things that are absolutely really important. Please don't say those things. Instead of call me if you need anything, assess the situation and say, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to bring over a pre-cooked meal. All you have to do is heat it up. I'm going to pick up the kids from school. I'm going to run your errands. Be proactive. Don't wait to be asked. If you know somebody who suffered a tremendous loss and you are in their orbit, you can contribute to easing their pain in a meaningful way without saying, call me if you need anything. That's the first best avenue of support and comfort that you can provide is proactivity. Okay. And are there certain things where I guess it's a natural thing in our culture where they say, oh, you know, I'm sorry if you lost thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. I have to, I, I can't stand it. I really can't stand it. I feel so, <laughs> so hollow. Yeah, I think, you know, what, what does it mean? It's like, you know, what else can you do? I mean, if you really say, for example, your intention is to, to send love their way, what else can you do in addition to saying thoughts and prayers? Well, you, you hit on a very important point, uh, cliches. Cliches are cookie cutter. They're well-worn. And... They, and they don't do a whole lot to, to comfort. 
And most of the time people resort to cliches because they, they don't know what to say. Speaking from personal experience, I thought that the most, to this day, the most comforting that, thing that I ever heard when it was my turn up at bat uh, to be bereaved, as it were, um, I had a work colleague say, Carol, I can't begin to imagine the pain that you're in right now. So right there, she's acknowledged that she has no idea what it is to go through what I'm going through. Even if you do know what they're going through, you can't imagine it from their perspective. So I can't imagine the pain that you must be in right now. When you're ready to talk, I'm ready to listen. Because not everybody wants to talk right away. They do eventually, but they don't necessarily want to do it right there in the moment when they're trying to digest and assimilate what's, what's happening to them. But let them know when you're ready to talk, I am ready to listen. And then make sure that you are ready to listen without judgment, without starting a sentence with the words at least. We'll get to that in a minute. You are ready to fully listen and embrace whatever it is they have to say because you go through such a, a plethora of feelings, sorrow, anger, overwhelming sadness, fear, doubt, there's there's so many things going on at the same time. You have to be ready to to listen without judgment, without negative opinion, uh, to this person who will hopefully be ready to talk to you and take it as a compliment when they do, because it takes quite a bit to let your most vulnerable self show. Uh, and when you are talking to this individual you mentioned a couple of things that um to say but when you're listening are there other things you can do to say like when they're when they're expressing their pain and, and suffering to you i mean what, what are some of the other things that you can contribute i mean can you offer uh, to take them for a, to go for walks or what are some of the absolutely things? Okay. absolutely getting somebody out of the house even for a half hour to coffee uh to take to take a walk uh, to, you know, gauge their proactivity because sometimes all you really want to do is just sit still because there is a lot of tumult and confusion and busyness that are connected with loss. So sometimes rest is a good thing, but then there comes a point where getting outside of the four walls is good too. And just changing up the scenery. Have them into your house for coffee if they're not ready to go out into into a public situation. I mean, the thought of, of combing my hair and putting on lipstick was overwhelming at, at one point in time. But if I'm just going over to a neighbor's house or a close friend's house, I don't have to worry about all that nonsense. Another thing that I just touched on is we tend to start things with the words at least. And when you do that, what you are doing is minim uh, you're minimizing and trivializing what somebody's saying. Um, something that you hear a lot in the widow community, well, at least you can find somebody else. Like people are replaceable. Jeez. Or, yeah, or at least yeah, you're I think young. With animals and also, you know, hey, you'll meet someone. It's like, jeez, you know, thank you. Well, in fact, that's, that's, that's I, I hate to, I hate to be the one to tell you this, Ryan, but unfortunately, one of the most common things that uh, people who have experienced loss, uh, and for some reason they, you hear it a lot in the widow community, is, well, you should just go get a dog. Okay. Yeah, sure. Dog, husband, husband, dog, dog, husband. Yeah, because nope. I'm sure the dog can know. <laughs> I'm sure the dog will be able to, you know, take care of all this and take care of all stuff and you know, you know but. Her. 
Well, you know, when you say, well, at least they didn't suffer, well, that makes it easier on them, not you. The words at least are reductive, and they're not helpful. What you have just said is, you know, well, at least you don't have it as bad as that person. Well, we all know that somebody somewhere has it worse than we do, no matter what it is we're talking about in life. Someone somewhere has it worse, and someone somewhere has it better. What we're talking about is the person in front of you. And what's going on with anybody else in the world is really not relevant to them at that moment in time. So don't be reductive about somebody's loss. Don't try and minimize it by saying, well, you know, at least you're still alive. Okay, yeah, that's great. But it really hurts. And the last thing you ever want to do is deprive somebody of their right to grieve. So let's not be reductive. And, and you're right, the cliches are, they, they are almost meaningless. It, so a, the you, other one is like, I, God, God has a plan to his, and I think it's the worst one. Oh, boy, yeah. People don't really like to hear much about um, it was their time. Yeah. Um, what time is that exactly? Because I don't have that wristwatch. Um, you know, everything happens for a reason. I don't think much more gets a rise out of people than that because – uh, you know, what possible reason could there be for me to be suffering like this and for this loss to have happened? Um, when people try and imbue God, you know your audience. I mean, that sounds cold, but know your audience. If somebody that you know is going to be buoyed by the, uh, imbuing religion, then by all means, do so. But you can also run a lot, across a lot of people, and I was one of them for a long time, who are very angry at God or their higher power. So the last thing they want to hear about how is how God has a plan because that's not going to work for them in the moment. So be careful there when you are going to involve anything of a spiritual nature. Know, you, know who, who it is you're talking to. Are there any types of s- smells or colors that you should surround that individual with? Are there things that you can provide that will have a naturally soothing um, aspect to a person who's grieving and just in general? And so, you know, so, you know, you want to, you want to be straightforward and say, hey, you know, I want to help you, but here are some of the things you can do that will subtly make a person feel better without them even being aware about it. I think that, and again, I, that's, you know, this is it's intensely personal. Uh, everybody's got a, their own preference. Um, nature. Whatever form nature takes, where where you are geographically located, nature is proven to lower blood pressure, relieve anxiety, slow rapid heartbeat. That's that's science. I just, just right there, it, it is it is scientifically proven to do these things. So when you talk about going out for a walk, we are talking about listeners necessarily jumping on a treadmill. We're talking about actually going out, taking deep breaths of outside air uh for me uh, my my soothing my therapy my happy place has always been the beach uh because i was born and, and raised by one and so water the, the sound of water whether it's rain or ocean uh has always been very very soothing and calming to me i can my, my shoulders will drop i mean they, they will i will literally just relax without even knowing it 
Um, I'm also a big proponent of guided meditation, and now that we've got streaming services and apps and things, there's there's no reason. You don't have to, you know, sit cross-legged and chant and, you know, try and quiet a racing mind because none of that works for me. But when I can have somebody in my ear telling me to focus on my breathing and focus on the music, and what it is a wonderful tool. I have found it to be extremely beneficial. Uh, so take take advantage of meditation in the new age, in the digital age. It's phenomenal. Um, the, the you know smells are as individual as we are people. For me, this I, I love scented candles. My favorite scents are pumpkin and clove and apple cinnamon. Uh, they're they're very warm and nurturing and uh, it just it's like a big hug. For me, so uh, aromatherapy, whatever aromatherapy uh, is helpful to you, lavender and peppermint are two again a big, big, very popular uh, with uh, scents, especially when you're trying to soothe yourself or when you're trying to go to sleep. Lavender is fantastic, and you can get uh, essential oils at any health food store or um, vitamin store. They're readily available, also online. They're readily available. So there are all kinds of wonderful uh, holistic avenues that you can take to uh, to bring your own self-comfort in a time of loss. Ms. Carol Brody-Fleet, author of an upcoming great book called – I'm going to say it's great because based on your other work, based on what you've done in interviews, it's, it's inevitable. So you know it's going to be <laughs> – loss is a four-letter word, a Raven Camp for the widowed kick grief in the ass and take your life back coming out in September 2018. I'm sure we'll be able to have you back on the show do an entire interview on that. I can learn more about Ms. Fleet by going to her website at widowswearstilettos.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Fleet. Really great information. Thank you, Ryan. It's my pleasure. Welcome back to the show is Dr. Joyce Hawker, psychologist who lost four family members in the span of two years. You can learn more about her by going to her website at joycehawker, H-O-C-K-E-R.com. Dr. Hawker, what are some of the things that you can do to help someone who's lost someone close to them? There are so many things that your listeners can do, all of us can do. One came to me when I was going through the worst part of my grieving process. A woman I didn't know all that well said, I want to have you come over to my house for dinner. I want to fix dinner for you. My husband won't be there. And I want you to bring your pictures of your sister and tell me about her so that I can know who she was. And I said, oh, no, that's all right. Really, really, we can just go to coffee. She said, no, I really want to do that. So this is a way of introducing what I learned and what I now coach other people to do Offer to be with the person. Ask them to tell you stories or to tell you how they're feeling or what happened. Approach the person gently, not not aggressively. Some people don't want to talk about their grief experiences, but in a way that shows that you're not afraid, that you care about them, look them in their eye, and say, I want to listen. I want you to tell me about what you're going through. I'm here for you. I would say that 
a mistake that people make a lot of times out of the goodness of their heart they say if there is ever anything that i can do please let me know and a better idea is to say i've thought of some things that might help you i could go shopping for you because i know that you have a bunch of family coming in and get some groceries or i could bring a casserole over but i want to do something that would really be helpful and not intrusive what would be helpful so asking the question of what would be helpful, offering to spend time. I had a group of women say, we're going to spend our next women's group with you telling us stories and us listening so that we know what's happening with you. And that was incredibly helpful. You know, 12 loving people sitting and listening was incredibly healing. So time tangible, specific suggestions. Also, people can do the old-fashioned things, uh, write cards, write a letter. It's very helpful sometimes when people tell you a memory they've had of the person you've lost that you may not know about. Oh, I want to tell you about a time when I saw your dad and he said, and I've always remembered that. So that idea of bringing up memories letting the person still be alive in your conversation. Those are very helpful things to do for a grieving person. Dr. Joyce Hawker, psychologist and author of the upcoming book, The Trail to Tin Cup, Love Stories at Life's End. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. To learn more about Dr. Hawker, please go to our website at joycehawker.com. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Jill Johnson-Young, licensed clinical social worker, and she's also a grief counselor. You can learn more about it by going to her website at yourpaththroughgrief.com or centralcounselingservices.com. Ms. Young, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. From your nice experience, what are some of the most effective and best ways for a person to begin the healing process when they are heartbroken over the loss of someone close to them? My experience also comes from being a grief recovery facilitator, and I've woven that into my practice, into my personal life as well, because I think I've told you I've been widowed twice myself. Um, and what I find for myself and for my clients and in the groups I run is that people need to finish what's left over. There are no real stages in grief. The whole five stages thing, that's designed for someone who is facing anticipatory grief because they themselves are facing death. But when you are the one recovering from grief, you need to really work through the woulda, coulda, shoulda, what didn't you get to say, what didn't they get to say to you, what should you have apologized for, what apologies did you need to hear, what things didn't get done or get finished. And you finish those things so that you can redesign where you're going with your life and take them with you. We don't leave them behind. We take them with us. They're always there. They're just there in a different form. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And when you're talking about people being in the, in the form, I'm sure there's some people who say, well, you know, I, I don't believe in anything beyond. I think that once we're here and we die, it's over. Do you find... And that's okay. Okay. So how do, they, how, how do you recover with that? I mean, do, do you think that people who believe in the idea of an afterlife who believe that the spirit continues on, are they at a competitive advantage because they have that, because they had a perception, or is it added embracing of that idea? I don't think that there's an advantage one way or the other so long as someone is settled with where their beliefs are. 
the biggest issue with belief systems when someone is in the recovery process is that folks tend to hear messages that are not helpful from a belief system, and it's something that challenges them. So if someone doesn't have a belief system, if there is no beyond for them, they still need to finish that relationship, and they take the memories of their loved one with them, and that person remains with them as a memory. So you can still hear them in the back of your head. You're still referencing them in your new life. If you do have a belief system in the beyond or in an afterlife of some sort, whatever it may be, because there are a lot of different ideas people carry, then it, how does that fit with where I am and with the experience I just had? Religion can be very hurtful at the time of the death as well, and so we need to be sensitive about that. And there are people who, when they lose someone very close to them, they, they can feel a tremendous amount of guilt what they could have done, what they should have done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that guilt could be tremendous. How do you address that guilt and cope with that guilt and resolve that guilt? It is a process. There's a lot of writing, a lot of talking. It's listing all the things that you wish that you you could have done or that you are feeling guilty for not having done. And then going back and revisiting it and looking at it as, is this realistic? Is it not realistic? I've met with lots of people who've said things like, you know, I caused my mom to die early because I allowed them to use morphine, and morphine kills people. Well, realistically, morphine doesn't kill people. It makes the dying person more comfortable. It relaxes their muscles. It makes it possible for them to actually breathe more easily in the hospice perspective. So you have to give them some time to figure out where the guilt comes from and then address it piece by piece. And if there's something they might have been able to do and they didn't, then they need to be able to talk that through and give themselves some forgiveness for being human. We don't all have a, a you know, perfect insight into what's coming. Okay. But I also want to add something here where there are some people who lose someone mm-hmm. and they never had that opportunity to go to them face-to-face to resolve something close to them. So how do you right. do that? How do you cope with that? How? What are some of the ways that you can you know, kind of make peace with that? Well, what you do is you write down all the things, and it's not fast, all the things that you wish you could have said and you wish you could have heard, the things that were leftovers, and eventually you get to a point in my practice, what I do is we write a letter. We write a letter to the person who died, and we apologize for those things, and we say the things we wish we could have said, and we name the things that we wish that they could have done too. And then we end the letter with, I love you and goodbye. And you read the letter out loud, and in the person, somebody else holds space for them so they can hear themselves say goodbye. Because the person who died isn't there in person to hear it, but you're saying it for it to be said and to be heard. It has a tremendous power. It doesn't sound like a lot, but there's a tremendous amount of power in an action like that. Some people alternatively read the letter and burn it or attach it to a balloon and let it go. There's a symbolism in, I've done all I can, and they're not here, and I'm going to say the things that I needed to say and then let it be. 
eventually it comes together. It's not fast, but it comes together. There's a healing process. Ms. Johnson Young, I would imagine that there are some people who, in the midst of feeling so, and in such despair, will turn to drugs and alcohol as a means of comforting themselves. And I don't know. I don't know if it's a social stigma, but, it's, but some people, most people say, oh, you know, don't do that. Don't turn to drugs and alcohol. You know, and, you know stay strong. I don't know. Do you think there's a time and a place for it that if you are in a tremendous amount of pain that you should allow yourself a, um, you know, some indulgences and doing whatever you can to keep the pain at bay that you need a intermittent break from that tremendous suffering. And mm-hmm. if you get the relief from alcohol or you get it for some drugs, that there's necessarily nothing wrong with it as long as you don't cause harm to someone else or people in your family? You know, you make me laugh when you say that because the day my first wife died, uh, we toasted her on the way out of the house with champagne that we were supposed to have held for an anniversary that she didn't make it to. And then we had Mai Tais in the backyard because it had been a very long week. And uh, I really needed a break. I needed to not be emotionally present for a little while. I think as long as the alcohol or whatever substance someone is using does not impact them in a negative way, I don't advocate someone overusing um, or becoming dependent by any means, and I don't advocate someone needing it every single night, but I think that that there's a time and a place, and I don't think it's anyone's place to tell someone else how to deal with the grief and the intensity of the grief, as long as it's not causing harm. Miss Jill Johnson-Young, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. You can learn more about Jill by going to her website at yourpaththroughgrief.com and centralcounselingservices.com. I want to thank you so much. That was fantastic. Thank you for having me. I wish you much luck, and I'll be looking forward to hearing this. Joining us now is Suzanne Giesman. She's the author of 12 books, a metaphysical teacher, and an evidential medium. You can learn more about her by going to her website at suzannegiesman.com. Ms. Giesman. When a person is trying to facilitate communication with someone who is no longer in the physical realm, what are some of the best ways that they can enhance that communication, be open to receiving that communication, and also properly send communication so the person in spirit can accurately hear them? I imagine that the communication lines are different, like we're we're doing a different language barrier. So how does that work from your experience? Oh, it's not a different language barrier at all. It's all consciousness, and so the communication is telepathic. You don't even need to speak words at all. You can speak with those in a different language, and the thoughts are transferred. The number one key is belief that that communication is possible and a very clear intention. So the intent to communicate with those who have passed, and then I would say the third key is a strong motivation that comes from the heart. So why do you want to have that communication? If it's to raise your own consciousness and the consciousness of the whole, then you're really setting yourself up for success. So believe it's possible that the greater reality exists. Set the intention of doing so from the heart. Think the highest quality thoughts and just do it. So <laughs> when you are focusing just for your energy, the spirit um, have the capability of just reading your your mind? They can read. That's it. It's like a doorbell goes off for those in the spirit world. I can sit here and say to my stepdaughter who's on the other side, 
Susan, I'd like to connect with you now. I love you so much. Please draw near to me now. And that, that does it. That, that thought communication goes out just a wave of love-filled consciousness and they're aware of it. Just like sometimes we know who's calling when the phone rings, they pick up on our thoughts when they go out from us. Excuse me. I've tried to communicate with some people. And one of my friends was trying to say, you know, hey, you know, if you're here, give me a sign. And then he gave me a sign. I'm like, that's so like you to ignore me. You know, that must be you. But I'm just curious, like, what if you don't get the sign back? How can you know if you're having a definitive communication? And also, are there any particular reason why your friends or family members in spirit might not want to communicate with you? Are there, is it, can we there have be to a be a really clear a really clear receiver, and that means having a mind that's open and free of thought. So that's why meditation or any kind of awareness practice, contemplative practice, that trains our brain to be quiet for just a few seconds at a time and set the intention, I would like to send you, you're saying that to your loved ones, when you communicate with me. If we're constantly thinking about the past, the future, our friends, my dog, it, my cat, she, you know, that kind of thing, our cluttered mind doesn't leave any room for communication from the higher realms, which is very, very subtle. So the more you set the intention to be aware when someone on the other side is nudging you, then you become aware of these little snags is what I call them. And they don't always come through telepathic thoughts. It could be uh, that you, you might happen to notice this bird that has been sitting there all afternoon and one that comes up and taps on your window. Those on the other side often use birds, insects, animals, to communicate with us through their actions, and we have to discern. Now, is that an accident, is that synchronicity, or is that an actual uh, message for me? Okay, so I guess when you are no longer in the physical realm, are you, are you – do you become one with infinity? Do you become one with all consciousness so the messages that you are in spirit can be covered in a number of different ways? Is that why the, these messages yes. come in? Yes, okay. Okay. yes. Mm -hmm. so, Ms. Suzanne Giesman, author of 12 books, metaphysical teacher, and an evidential medium. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. To learn more about Suzanne, go to, please go to our website at SuzanneGiesman.com. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, that concludes part four of The Death Show. Special thanks for a great guest. If you're enjoying The Death Show so far, please share it with other people. Share it, especially with somebody who's lost someone close to them. We truly hope this show can bring them some measure of peace and comfort. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.